Good morning. My name is Mike Wayne and I'm part of the leadership team here at Resound. It's my pleasure to be sharing with you this morning on the topic of Pentecost, a, a day which is particularly important in the Christian calendar. Uh, some would argue that it should be as widely celebrated as Christmas or Easter. And there's good reason for that, because it's at Pentecost where we remember God releasing his Holy Spirit for all people. Um, it's particularly important in relation to something that Jesus said before he died, um, which we'll read uh, in the book of John. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Originally, however, Pentecost was a Jewish festival called Shavuot, um, otherwise known as the Feast of Weeks, which began as a harvest celebration. Um, but in the time of exile, when the Israelites were away from their agricultural life, um, harvest became less relevant, less apparent, and the festival gained new significance in relation to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, an occasion we'll read about in the book of Exodus. Um, and when I was doing my research for this talk, it appeared that there are a number of points of correlation between these two stories, the story of Pentecost as we find it in Acts 2, uh, and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. You might be familiar with Moses and the Ten Commandments, that's, that's Mount Sinai. Uh, the day of Pentecost is reported to have been 50 days after the Passover, and both stories revolve around that. The uh, story in Exodus as we find it uh, there was at the first Passover, before the Israelites leave Egypt in their slavery, the first Passover happens um, and 50 days later the Israelites make it to Mount Sinai where they receive the law from God. Uh, likewise in Jesus' day, the Passover he takes just before he's arrested, crucified and resurrected. That was 50 days before uh, Pentecost, this day. We read about in Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. More comparisons will emerge as we go, um, but for now let's just get into the story. Um, as I mentioned, I'll be reading it from Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts, um, verses 1 to 36. So what happened? Well, let's find out. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I'm going to pause there. Different translations that I checked all make it clear uh, there's a sound like the rush of a wind, or a violent wind, and it was not to be confused with an actual wind. They want to distinguish early on the difference between the natural and the supernatural. Now, there's importance to this, uh, which I'll explain. Um, there is probably only a handful of us that have ever experienced really brutal winds. Um, I know I myself personally, I haven't. Um, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but back in February, if you remember, we had two weekends full of storms. We had Storm Chiara and Storm Dennis. Um, we had some quite strong, <laughs> strong, strong winds then. Um, some of you might remember the great storm of 1987, uh, a little bit before my time, but I'm aware of it because it's significant, lived on in uh, the nation's history. I remember my parents talking about it, my brother being a child at the time. Um, 
And it's worth remembering that the ancient Israel we're looking at in the Book of the Acts um, was situated in a specific geographic location. To its west, it had the Mediterranean Sea, uh, which brought in cool winds, uh, often rain, refreshment for people and for crops. This is a society which was heavily dependent on uh, farming, agriculture. And so the winds from the west, from the Mediterranean, were refreshing, nourishing, they brought life. The winds that came from the east, however, uh, came from what is now Jordan, uh, from heavy desert lands, um, and they were strong, violent winds. They more like sandstorms. They had the ability to scorch the land, to destroy crops. Um, the people, quite understandably, then grew to draw a symbol of God and God's power as this idea of wind, which could bring life like the western winds and it could destroy life like the eastern winds. It was strong and powerful. It, it was beyond their control. Um, and so Luke, um, who write the Gospel of Luke, as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that Luke, um, also writes the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke here wants us to know early on that there's a sound like the rush of a violent wind is a symbol of God, God's power, God's presence coming. So those reading it early on, um, or those thousands of years ago, would have been aware of that symbolism. I'll carry on to verse 3. Divided tongues, as, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So if the wind was a, the first picture of the Spirit of God, the, the movement of God's power and God's presence, um, fire was, was an even more potent symbol. Um, when God first speaks to Moses, again, this is back in... Um, in the Old Testament, God appears as a burning bush. You might be familiar with that story. Uh, once the Israelites are free from Egypt and they're wandering around the desert, they're led um, by two, a pillar of cloud during the day and by night, a pillar of fire. Um, then later on, they build a tabernacle, which was a, a portable home for God, essentially, as strange as that sounds. Um, but this tabernacle is described as being covered by a cloud by day and again, the appearance of fire by night. Um, so when we get to Mount Sinai, if you, uh, as we mentioned earlier, where the law was given, we read that just before the Ten Commandments are listed, uh, that Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Therefore, uh, the picture of tongues of fire resting on each of them was hugely important. Uh, Luke was showing that God's presence was with. God's presence was with each of them. This corresponds to what the Apostle Paul later writes in the book, um, which is 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the church in Corinth, where he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whilst Paul was talking about how we should treat our bodies, what we should do with our body, um, the imagery of a temple is significant because it takes us back to the temple um, in the times of the days of Israel, uh, which in turn was a more permanent house for God, um, a fixed tabernacle. Um, so Luke is saying we have become the tabernacle where God's presence is and where God's fire rests. It's a strange picture, but uh, would have been extremely exciting. I think should still be exciting. We have become the, the host for God's presence. 
Now there were devout Jews from every nation under, under heaven living in Jerusalem. At this sound, the crowds gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is one of those dreaded passages from the Bible that any preacher who has to read it um, fears because there's a bunch of names that are quite hard to say. Hopefully I did it all right. Um, anyways, this chunk is highlighting a peculiar initial impact of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Different people who have gathered for the festival of Pentecost, this Feast of Weeks, um, they will start speaking in different languages. Something that might be lost on us on reading it at first, um, but I'm sure wouldn't have been lost on those at the time, was that this is a, a almost direct reversal of another story earlier in the, from earlier in the Bible, um, the Tower of Babel. You might be familiar with this story, um, but in that story, which may, which may well have been a myth seeking to explain uh, the origin of having multiple languages around the world, um, God decides that all people having one language meant that they could do anything. Um, and it appears like God is worried about this, he's concerned about it, so he confuses their language and spreads them out across the earth. In the story of Pentecost, people have been scattered, come back together, so people from all over, the, all nations are gathered in the same place. Um, and once more, they're able to understand one another and communicate with one another, each hearing in their own language. So whereas at Babel, um, they are given different languages so they can't understand one another. Now they have different languages in the same place. They've come together and they can all understand each other once again. It's a bit like um, if you watch Doctor Who, if you travel in the TARDIS, when you arrive on like an alien planet, you can understand uh, alien languages because the TARDIS has an effect on you. It's a little bit like, <laughs> a little bit like that. Um, and here we see at Pentecost, rather than trying to limit what people can do, as at Tower of Babel, um, God equips people with the Holy Spirit, which enables them to do immeasurably more than they could have imagined they could do. We'll carry on here. Others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. This could be one of the best lines in the whole Bible. Um, people who saw what was going on couldn't believe it, essentially. And they decided the only logical explanation was that uh, even at 9am, they were all drunk. Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, stands up and starts his now famous address by saying to the crowds, uh, they aren't drunk. This is too, it's too early, as if the idea were impossible. Uh, Peter clearly never been part of a stag do at Heathrow where the spoons at 8am. He goes on to quote the prophet Joel, which would have been a passage that was well known to all Jews at the time. Uh, and he says this. 
This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, and as, your, as you yourself know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. <clears throat> but God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Uh, Peter now goes on to quote uh, King David, taken from Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter lays the basic premise of what's going on, using the example of David, who the Jews would have all known and respected deeply. Uh, he uses David to introduce the story of Jesus. And Peter here explains that by Jesus' death and resurrection, he made way for us to receive the Holy Spirit. He says, Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God was sworn an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. <clears throat> For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of the gods, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that both you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him who both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. I wonder how you feel hearing that. If you're anything like me, the main questions it raises are, what does it actually mean for us now? And what can I do about it? Well, the long and short of it is that the celebration of Pentecost reminds us that God wants us to live in his personal presence. That we each have access to God who was once confined to a tent uh, where the only the high priest had access. Uh, and the spirit of God enables us to do far more than we naturally could otherwise. The Bible is absolutely packed with stories of individuals um, who were affected by the Spirit of God to do great things. <clears throat> it gave Joseph the ability to understand and interpret dreams. It gave Bezalel unmatched creativity and craftsmanship to make all sorts of things. 
It gave Samson unnatural physical strength. He could break the ties as he was imprisoned. It gave Isaiah the gift to prophesy and to share a message of hope. In fact, God's Spirit spoke through a lot of prophets, including Joel, who we heard from earlier, who God used us to tell about the time of Pentecost. The verses that Peter was uh, reciting were from the prophet Joel, <clears throat> which says, Then afterward I will pour out on my spirit all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is the time of Pentecost. This, is, this was now, this is what he was talking about. And I find it wonderful how inclusive it is. Um, I'm sure anyone with any sense of history will understand that um, slaves were the lowest of society. They were servant to all. Um, and unfortunately, um, there was a time when women were, were powerless essentially in society. They were second class citizens. <clears throat> so for the fact that it specifically mentions on female slaves, he'll pour out his spirit. Um, it's an amazing thing. Of course, these are just some of the ways the Holy Spirit works in us. Uh, two weeks ago, if, you, if you've seen that or were in that service, Dave Mitchell spoke to us about the work of the Holy Spirit and he described how God's Spirit works to remind us that we are children of God and helps us to pray with God's heart. If you didn't hear that talk, you can go back uh, once we're all done here and have a listen to what he had to share. So what can we do about it? Well, my first suggestion is to take time to read back through this passage from Acts chapter 2. Um, see what jumps out at you. Read through it slowly. Uh, you can even pray through it if you'd like. But see what catches your eye. Let the text come to life in your mind. Uh, imagine yourself there witnessing the madness going all around. Imagine, your, imagine yourself being affected by the Holy Spirit in that place. What it might have felt like what other people might have seen. Next, uh, and probably most importantly, you can ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Whether you've never experienced this or have many times, <clears throat> the offer is still the same. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. If we'd been meeting in person, we probably would have spent a bit of time now inviting people to come forwards, uh, to be prayed for that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But one of the, oh, I hope this is the perk um, of being at home, is that you can do this on your own, in your own time, in your own space where you feel comfortable. Um, so you just find a quiet space, somewhere you feel is safe, <clears throat> and try praying, asking God to send his Holy Spirit to you. You might not notice anything in particular. On the other hand, the room might begin to shake, uh, from my experience, the Holy Spirit impacts people in different ways. Some people feel a deep sense of peace within. Other people cry with release from burdens they've been carrying, sadness, loneliness, past hurts. Some people laugh, filled with joy and excitement. Um, each person's experience of the Holy Spirit will likely be very different. Um, they're unified, however, in that they all build up. They encourage us, they reveal to us something of God's love. You can ask to receive the Holy Spirit as often as you like. There's no limit. God is just longing and waiting for us to enter into his presence. All we have to do is ask. Finally, I want to suggest that you talk to others. 
The works of the Holy Spirit produce some of the greatest, often most unbelievable stories, starting with the account we read in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost. Some then, it seems, can believe in what they were seeing. So let the stories of others' encounters with the Holy Spirit encourage you and make you hungry for more. If you seek, you will find. So as I finish, I'm going to pray a simple prayer uh, that you can repeat in your heart wherever you are, um, whether you've done this a thousand times or never before. Lord, thank you that you love me so much that you want me to come into your personal presence. Thank you for the amazing things that your spirit enables us to do, the skills, the abilities and the gifts it gives us. I ask now that you fill me with your spirit, transform me with it, and help me to know you more closely because of it. In your name I pray. Amen.